Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Vet Guru Brendan here with Vet Guru Mark, episode 289. Thursday, April the 6th, 2023. And while Mark's munching on his lunch, I'll just go through a couple of admin here. Vetgurus at gmail.com. Send an email to us, say hello, and we'll talk about one email this week. I think Mark, um, visit our website, vetgurus.com. Poke around there, look at all the previous 288 episodes and uh, work your way through them. Uh, might take you a little period of time to do that, but um, well <laughs> worthwhile, Mark. Well worthwhile. Some great continuing education, if I don't say it so myself. How are you, Mark? There's some laughs in there too, Brendan, mainly <laughs> at my expense. And mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, I'm really well, really, really well. Excellent. That's good to hear, and um, not good to hear that you don't have a review for me. Um, we need to throw in a, a review or two. I've Vision got one in on the way. I have. Uh, so you uh, said last time. <laughs> time good. I am waiting with bated breath for that. Um, I'm always interested in the products you review. Actually, I've got one to review that's on the way and it might take a while to get here. So, uh, But I think it's one you might appreciate, Mark. So, Looking yeah, forward uh, to it. Excellent. All right. So I think with that, we're going to jump into an email from a, our, our overseas correspondent in the US, Nick. I think we are going to have to give him uh, an official title. title. I really, <laughs> I really enjoy all the emails we get, but um, Nick is such a consistent and um, authoritative um, uh, communicator that, um, yeah, we'll look forward to his emails. And uh, he sent us, he's just listened to the episode about uh, coccidiosis in bearded dragons, and, and he reports that that I'll, he he concurs with a lot of the things we were discussing in our podcast. He does talk about the shady sources of panazuril that uh, clients can um, can uh, get. Obtain. Yeah, and even told trazuril, the, the dodgy websites that have it. Um, so, so yeah, it's hard to tell in those circumstances whether a treatment is effective or not because you. I uh, can't be certain that the clients have gotten the real deal when it comes to the medication. And even if it's decanted off an out-of-date container, that might be enough to render it useless. He goes on to talk about that whole thing that we were discussing about socioeconomic circumstances that uh, you just can't judge what, what uh, people are willing to spend their money on. And he's quite correct. I like his description that offering a, an, a spectrum of care or an array of options generally gives you some guidance as the veterinarian as to what people are prepared to spend. And it also means that you've carried out your, you know, your duty of care to make sure that um, the animal has had the decisions been made to, you know, decline the best, uh, uh, maybe the, the gold standard 
but still offer a level of care that's um, consistent with uh, being humane. Yes, and I like his comment there, Mark, that if you do offer that gold standard or the, or the t- t- ideal and they decline that and they go for something a little bit cheaper, that um, it helps with the expectations if things don't go quite as hoped, Mark. Um, so, their, so their outcome is... is, is, is well, it's tempered a little bit, isn't it? There, so I, I think it's always good offer, offer, offer choices, um, offer what you think the ideal, and uh, it's always the um, client's decision to um, decide on on which one of those to take, um, unless it's one that you obviously want to euthanize and and um, for humane reasons, and then you've also covered yourself legally, haven't you? Precisely, Brendan, that's precisely correct. And the other topic that that Nick was talking about, um, and, and I always do worry that maybe we have a bit of an Australo focus, um, talking about our frilled neck lizard. Um, and uh, But Nick reports that he has clients that have both Australian water dragons and frilled lizards. And, and uh, yeah, he... he has also seen that the husbandry of those species can be a little bit difficult and maybe not for beginners. So it's nice to know those those factors transverse, uh, they traverse over territories and, and they're still applicable to our listeners in other countries. I'd be interested, Mark, to hear what sort of price those particular reptiles sell for in um, the US. Um, so drop us another quick email, Mark, with if you, Nick, if you know how much the client paid for the um, frilled lizard or the water dragons go for in the States. Actually, also with the more common ones, I mean, we certainly know that bearded dragons are sold and kept by the many hundreds of thousands, aren't they, in in the USA and elsewhere. And I'd be interested in what the current market rate is for a standard version of one of those species, Mark. Brendan, you've got some news for me too. Yes, my news article is, uh, I think you alerted me to this one, and if you didn't, um, you should have. Um, US says it's likely impossible, Mark, likely impossible for Trump to get back in. No, hang on, I'm reading the wrong news story there. To eradicate invasive Burmese python population. Um, So the growing Burmese population in Florida and the Everglades markets Pretty astounding the numbers that they talk about here, Mark. Um, Burmese pythons were detected in the Everglades as early as 1979, and they didn't or, or confirm until the 1990s or so that they had a reproduction problem there, Mark. And there's lots of research papers now, and according to this article, more than 250 research programs talking about how to try and slow the eradication or no, slow slow the um, reproduction and, and um, they've basically determined that it's impossible to, to eradicate them up because guess what they breed like pythons and the <laughs> largest python ever recorded in Florida was nearly 19 feet long mark 214 pounds and that was full of 122 eggs and typically the pythons they found in Florida lay on average a clutch size of between 11 and 84 eggs, Mark. Jeez. So, yeah, they um, and it goes on to talk about what, what you could expect there that, you know, they 
researchers radio tracking mammals and, and following possums that suddenly stop moving with their collars on and then start moving again and they've been swallowed up by one of the yeah. pythons there, Mark. And they have this, uh, d- d- did you know about this, Mark, the annual challenge? Um, I don't like the the, the way they've... Um, way they've um, phrased this or, or, or the annual challenge which is an annual culling event in october called the florida python challenge last year mark 2022 231 snakes were killed during the challenge i'd just be a bit concerned that it'd be a bit gung-ho mark um, with some of the people that would be going out to try and help with that cull there and i don't know i have to i haven't looked it up but whether or not there's a bounty on them or not or whether it's just a sort of unofficial challenge but gee that's not really going to touch the edges of, of the um problem with these um these pythons mark um especially it's only two or three litters isn't it yeah, and considering that you know it's a perfect environment, isn't it? Isn't it for for them there? So, you know, retirees and pythons, Mark, in Florida. So. The way Florida works. That's the there way Florida so, rolls. Um, not much good news there, Mark. But uh, I'm going to com- com- continue the theme of not much good news when I talk about a Tasmanian man who shot and killed three hundred and fifty kookaburras. Uh, because they were impacting the native wildlife he'd been (laughs) cultivating on his land. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this. The first was that Mr. Whitford, uh, Mr. Neil Gordon Whitford, 60, of Deviat, he, um, the kookaburras are not native birds in in Tasmania. They've been introduced from the, over the, over Bass Strait. And so he did not do any, he didn't break any laws associated with, with uh, uh, you know, because they're actually considered yes. a, a somewhat invasive species, uh, an invasive exotic species. And they were impacting his wildlife. What he uh, also, what he, they couldn't get him for any cruelty aspect to the, because he was actually quite a good shot and, dispatch the birds without without uh, any suffering whatsoever what he didn't do was hold the correct license for the firearms he was using um, he also whacked a silencer on the the gun which is a against the law he had a um, he'd ordered over the internet i believe and um, he'd had the gun since before the laws changed but yeah, he uh, um, he hadn't registered appropriately and was using a silencer, and that's what they've they've actually uh, uh, fined him five thousand dollars for the incorrect weapons permit. <sighs> now, my question, Mark, and I don't know whether it talks about this in the article there, Mark, is the reason supposedly why he shot and killed the kookaburras was because they're impacting his native wildlife. Do, do you have any more info on what that was? Look, he did have uh, a... He's actually changed his uh, the property um, that he has and um, planted, um, uh, grown some native plants and shrubs and particularly the small birds and the native fowls and the... the uh, the kookaburras were taking them out. And so he was actually not only finding that that they were eating them, but the birds were not being replaced. So he was 
you know, not having those birds on his, particularly the little forest birds on his property anymore. So um, it is a recognised problem. The, the, um, in the, I can't believe, I, I've only recently found out that um, it was only in the 1990s, I think, the early 1900s, so 1920s, kookaburras were introduced to Tasmania to control snakes, speaking of uh, difficult proposition. And, of course, uh, so, you know, knock me over with a feather, they didn't um, make much of a dent in the snake population, but they've become a pest for so many other species. Yeah, so, I don't think it'll work introducing them into Florida for those um... <laughs> Big pythons, Mark. And, uh, they'd be licking their lips, wouldn't they? <laughs> their foot, their tongue. Yes. Oh, so, what's your take home on this um, article, Mark? Your kookaburra cull. Look, I think it, just follow the rules is my take home. He's probably doing a, uh, um, a a reasonable thing if he'd worked with the authorities. They probably would have given him permits to use the appropriate weapons and he would have been um he would have he's perfectly uh within the law to um to humanely dispose of um an invasive species so yeah just follow the law and take into account um the animal's welfare and make sure that you're doing the right thing by by the animals that they're not suffering on the way out that their that their death is a good and quick one yeah. And speaking of doing the right things, Mark, your main topic this week is household hazards in pet birds. Gee, that's potentially a, a long list I'd expect, but hopefully you'll hit on the main ones that spring to your mind, Mark. Because, But it's a, a good topic because, gee, how many people who have a pet bird will have that bird out free roaming in their house, flying around, sitting, watching TV with them in the lounge room, in the kitchen, etc. So I'm looking forward to this one, Mark, to, it's a, talking about some of the household hazards. Well, I think it's a good thing because um, more and more people are trying to get their birds out of a cage and have them, you know, share the, the house with them. And the other side of that coin is the wing clipping story. We spend an awful lot of time trying to convince people that birds have the best health when their wings are not clipped and their flight isn't impeded. But obviously, that gives them far greater access to much larger parts of the house. And so people should be aware of um, the, the many hazards that ever, the average household for birds. And I think my experience is this is a good topic. Like you do, you, you know, someone... Uh, comes in early in those first series of consultations, there, this is a very good uh, topic to run through, give us a handout, run through as a script, because people really don't think about these hazards. They're quite sensitive to their birds, but they may not be aware of them or they take them for granted, Brendan. So good to power through them. Yes. So what is the first one we're going to talk about, Mark? What is the first household hazard in pet birds? Well, it's toxins, uh, particularly metal toxins. And one of the, the reason I chucked this in there, Brendan, is because even though our newer houses uh, have paint that is almost absolutely lead free, there are still numerous locations, numerous sources in the house where uh, birds might find lead or zinc 
Um, it's very common to have weights in the bottom of curtains and we've had birds brought to us where they've munched on a bit of lead weight in the bottom of a curtain. Um, zinc is often um, zinc, the flashing that sometimes is used to waterproof walls. A bit of that might be sticking out in the garage or something and it's likely to contain zinc or even sometimes lead. So it's surprising how much of these dangerous metals are still in our house and um, just being aware of what the bird and obviously if you've got an old house if you've bought a you know an inner city in Australia we have a lot of um, older houses that would yes. be painted with that lead containing paint and even environmental um, pollution uh, waste from uh, cars the dust on the the roof of some inner city buildings is a rich source of lead so very good thing to be aware of very uh, important to be conscious not only for our birds but our children as well brendan yeah there's a bit of a list there isn't there but i think you've touched on the main ones to poke your head around on your eyes around your rooms and and try and minimize the chance of that exposure exposure you also mentioned some other other um chemicals mark what's that and i think that's oh, your next next it answer. is it is I've more than once we've had birds uh, brought into us who've gotten into the laundry where people store their insecticides or herbicides and of course a cockatoo is going to just love the colours on the plastic container and have a chew at them so making sure all those things are secure in a way medicines for people you would be surprised how many times we've had to deal with a bird that's had a crack at uh, some human medication, whether it be an anxiolytic or an antidepressant or heart meds. So they, and particularly in this circumstance, you know, we've seen people just pop a tablet on the table, go and get their glass of water to, to have their blood pressure medication. And because it looks vaguely like a large nut or seed, the bird pounces on it and it's gone before the people know what's going on. So just being aware that birds will be interested in those things and it doesn't take them long at all is really important. So just being aware. Being aware, Mark. Um, it's crazy what people will shove into their pets, Mark, medicine-wise, isn't it? <laughs> Not just birds. It, it never ceases to amaze me what... Um, People say, oh, I just gave it a little bit of this med. You know. um, okay, so what have we got next, Matt? Another household hazard for pet birds? Well, there's a whole group of hazards that I classify as the inhaled hazards because they are inhaled. They're, and birds have, as we know, a very complicated respiratory system with the air sacs and um, the circulation of air, their pattern of breathing. Um, and so it just makes them a little bit more susceptible to... Um, those inhaled uh, problem chemicals. So things like even uh, exhaled smoke, nicotine from exhaled smoke or uh, vaping um, is very dangerous to those birds. The age-old Teflon, and I think we've sort of gotten to the stage now where most people are aware that um, if you overheat the Teflon, it releases very dangerous gases which cause hemorrhagic pulmonary disease in birds but still we see cases brendan of of uh birds that come in that have um uh, gotten access to the kitchen maybe a less well ventilated kitchen and um, yeah. someone's attention's been diverted and the the uh teflon pan is overheated and 
and uh, release those gases. So important just to keep those. The kitchen is a probably a good place for the birds to be not around uh, for multiple reasons, but definitely that Teflon. Yes, inhaled hazard Teflon. What else have we got, Mark? Speaking of product and as a very classic one isn't there that you well two of them that you've got next on your list well and these ones are not you know you probably don't immediately think of them as uh toxic but i'm talking about avocado and chocolate and avocado lovely on you know the toast smashed avo on toast is wonderful uh, i had it for breakfast just the other day but a group of cultivars of avocado have a um, very dangerous cardiac toxin that uh, um, birds and some of our other pets are susceptible to. Um, and so it doesn't, the, the awkward thing about this is that not all cultivars have the, the um, cardiotoxin. And so some birds will have a nibble at some avocado and all will be good. Uh, but if it is one of the cultivars that has this uh, this poison, it can cause massive damage and kill the birds. So um, massive damage to the, the um, myocardium and kill the birds. So definitely a good thing to uh, keep the birds away from avocado. And chocolate, just like our dogs, can also uh, lead to cardiac problems in birds. And so leaving a little bit of chocolate laying around probably not the best thing to do they're very likely to get into it because of the sweet taste and it does that you know their small body weight means they don't have to get a big dose for it to be dangerous well i'm wondering if we should let that bird out at all mark um, with this long list but you've got a few more to come what else have we got well like the other one that this one is probably worth like i know none of our listeners would um would be partaking um, of, of uh, marijuana and probably none of our listeners' clients would do anything like that. But it is important just to be aware that you know, we've had a couple of very dozy birds come in and in trying to figure out what's going on with them, it has become clear that they've um, availed themselves, they've enhanced the greens in their diet, as it were, and uh, and it is that the, uh, the, there is the potential for it to reach a point where um, they've overdosed and, and it's even uh, uh, potential for them to die. So, And the other thing I find with uh, marijuana intoxications in pets and particularly in birds is that it's often difficult. You know, you can support a patient once you know what's, what toxicity they have and give them their best opportunity to pull through. But it often takes quite a long time to become clear that this is a marijuana intoxication there's often some confusion uh, and someone might not know what's happened um, so just um, great client relations um, and being aware that uh, the birds will all have a go at uh, these sorts of things it's important to uh, to have those discussions uh, sensitively I suppose <laughs> I could imagine some of the discussions you've had with your clients, um, and we won't go into that now. Now, you've gee, all these things that they can ingest or or um, or uh, be sprayed um, or, or chew on or whatever. 
what else have we got, Mark? What physical hazards? That's right. I've got a group of things that um, we've seen uh, accidents happen, and um, they often happen because people are not aware, I suppose. And the first one is back to the kitchen. We've had a number of birds who have had severe burns as they land in a, a pot of hot oil. We've had a number of budgerigars that we actually had to euthanize because they literally cauterized both their feet off. So they do not realize the danger of those circumstances that we would be aware of and and uh, it's just important to prevent them from having any accidental access to boiling water or cooking oil. We definitely see a large number of birds who are, you know, the physical structures in our houses like that move like fans and doors and those sorts of things. More than once we've had birds that have uh, had serious fractures as a result of those structures, gaining access to a room that a fan is on that people didn't realise the fan was on. Um, The door, the birds will often flock with their owners and try and get through doors. So self-closes, more than once we've had a bird that's, um, that's been had a wing fracture or foot fracture because it's been caught in a self-closing door. So just being aware of the bird's behaviour and the fact that these things are a potential risk, having maybe a safe place in the house, a refuge where the bird doesn't feel like it needs to follow people around, but it's play gym and food and whatnot is in one location, that will have a tendency to prevent them coming into contact with those things. Mmm, gee. It's a bit scary, isn't it? All of this, um, all of these products. So, do you want to back back up a little bit and just um, recommend your well environment for those birds in the home? What what particular spaces to perhaps avoid, Mark, and and how to minimise their access to these household hazards? Well, I think if you can, as I said, having a, a room that is the birds is an ideal situation. But if you can't do that, then making sure the bird can't get into the kitchen and the bathroom, they're probably the the main danger rooms. So they have access to the living room and then making them feel safe there, making uh sure that they have a play gym, that their food is there, that the windows don't leave them exposed, that they, you know, have some form of uh, um, covering on them that's not weighted down with lead weights, but at least prevents them from feeling exposed to cats and birds of prey that might be outside. And if they're happy in that environment, then they're less likely to, you know, they can explore, they have their environmental enrichment there, they can explore their cardboard toys or um, their uh, um, she-oak seed follicles or Banksia seed follicles, and they're not bored and uh, exhibiting that exploratory behaviour in parts of the house where they're going to find things that hurt them. Yep. Well said, Mark. And we have covered a few of the toxicities and ingestion ones and even obstructions um, with the um, previous podcasts. And if I get a chance, I'll link to some of them um, at vetgurus.com. 
any final words about the household hazards in pet market? But I think it's been sensible, isn't it? And oh. um, overall, we want to provide environmental enrichment to all our animals. And we prefer them to be out and about and enjoying life um, with that slight, hopefully only slight increased risk of encountering a hazard rather than being caged up. Is that well summarized, Brendan? I think it's a good summary. And I think the, the thing... Like most um, accidents, most uh, things that happen, it, a big part of it is just not being aware that if people are aware um, that this might happen or that might happen, you know, put the bird in the other room before I get my heart meds out, Put the um, make sure we have a stopper so the door can't close completely. If people are aware, they care so much about their birds, they will put things in place if they know before the event. And so that's why it's good for us to talk about this at one of those early consultations just around the time of acquisition, I reckon. Gee, you're a good man, Mark, and I'll tell you what, those clients would appreciate your discussion with those with those uh, new birds or even old birds that are, that are brought into your clinic for that first consultation. Um, so excellent, Mark. Household has hazards in pets and which ones and how to avoid them and um, what to do and what not to do, Mark. You just keep getting better and better with your advice, Mark. Um, I think with that, we'll get out of here and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.